The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please be taking your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. You can find the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. It tells us of who God is. It tells us of his mission, who we are, our tendencies, what our attitude towards lost people ought to be like. And it also wonderfully foretells of the atoning, the amends making. Maybe you don't know what the word atoning means, but the amends making work of Jesus himself. And we will call this sermon series, we'll call it, we will give it a title of God and the Rogue Representative. Now, we probably remember this story, many of us probably remember this story from our childhood. And if you don't know this story at all, I hope that you'll be able to follow along with us. I'll try to do my very best to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that all of us, children included, can reach what God's Word has for us. But we probably, many of us probably remember this story. Uh, It is no big deal when a dog bites a man, but it usually makes the news if a man bites a dog. It's, uh, It's no strange thing when a man catches a fish, but it's a very peculiar thing when a fish catches a man, which is why many of us probably remember this story in detail. But if you're there in Jonah chapter 1, I invite you to look to verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now there's some questions that hopefully you're asking to understand what's all going on here you ask yourself who is Jonah and quite frankly he's really not that special he's simply a rebellious rogue representative of God he's a rebellious prophet he's trying to run away from God in this way from this assignment that God had given him who are the Ninevites Uh, they were a very numerous people this was a very large city if you take the entirety of the populations of Johnstown Mount Vernon, Heath, Newark, Granville, and New Albany. You take all of those numbers and add them together, and then you double that number. That's approximately how many people were in Nineveh. Many people. Nineveh was approximately 3,000 miles from Tarshish. So Jonah's not that far away from it when he decides to run from God, but he decides to separate himself from this place, from these people that God has called him to. We know of the Ninevites that they were idol worshipers. They worshipped the false god Dagon, which was this half-man, half-fish type of god that they worshipped. This god was worshipped much in the similar ways that the false god Baal was worshipped through human sacrifices and through acts of prostitution in temples. These Ninevites were a bloodthirsty people. Uh, It is even said, if you know your ancient history well, it's even said that when people, when cities would see the Ninevites, the armies of the Ninevites, 
marching across the lands that people would commit suicide. It was better to kill oneself than to suffer the great horrors of facing this bloodthirsty, this torturous army that, of the Ninevites. They were a wicked people. And in Jonah's running away, this prophet of God that is in his disobedience, running away from the mission that God gave him, he got a lot of things really wrong, but he got one thing for sure wrong and one thing that he at least had a proper understanding of that he did something improper with. The thing that he got completely wrong was that he thought that he could run from God. We would call this God's omnipresence, meaning that he is everywhere. And we don't really understand whether Jonah just didn't know that, whether he didn't believe it. He, he obviously must have known that he was being disobedient, but, but he thought that he could run from God. Church, we cannot run from God. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He sees the things that we look at. He sees the things that we think about. He knows and sees all. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Now, the thing at least that Jonah had a proper understanding of was this message that God gave him to give to the Ninevites. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites and preach against them. Their wickedness has come up before me. Go and cry out against this people. Their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah ran away. And as a child, I don't know about you, but as a child, I always remembered this story thinking that the reason that he ran away is because he was scared of the Ninevites dangerous bloodthirsty people that he was scared of them and we know that that's not true we'll see this when we come to the conclusion of the book of Jonah but I'll simply give you the spoiler now and simply that Jonah knew that God was going to save them Jonah knew that this message of calling out of crying out against their wickedness that that kind of preaching would work and that God in his mercy was going to back up all that God was said he was going to do both in the wrath that God was going to pour out but he also knew that God was slow to anger abundant in mercy and these wicked Ninevites that Jonah really didn't like that he really didn't want going to heaven he knew that God was going to be faithful he knew that this message would work. Jonah essentially said to the Ninevites in his actions, what he essentially said was, because of your wickedness and the heartache that you cause me and all of the ways in which you rebel against God, I'd rather you just go to hell than me going to preach and you have an opportunity at the message that can save you to repent and to turn from your wickedness. He essentially told them, go to hell. I'd rather have nothing to do with you both in time and in eternity. So point number one this morning, church, is that the rogue representative is silent of God's impending judgment. The rogue representative, this kind of how Jonah was, is silent about God's impending judgment. And I just think it's worth us taking note, dear friends, this morning, that that this kind of New Age preaching of completely leaving out entire aspects of God like His wrath and like His judgment, it is not a loving thing. It was the very essence of God's judgment that was going to be the thing that would cause all these people to repent. And Jonah knew it. He knew that that kind of preaching would work. He knew that that kind of message that God had given him would be the thing that would cause these people to turn from their wicked ways and to be saved. And we ought to remember that for today's world as well but there is still a place church to tell the wicked sinner to tell the person who is in rebellion against God of his judgment against them there is still a place of it let us not be these rogue representatives that only champion the parts of God that we want to champion
We have the entirety of his word for a reason. The rogue representative is silent of God's impending judgment. And you might say, well, Pastor Ben, that's so terrible that Jonah knew that all these people were going to get saved, knew that this message was going to work for the Ninevites. And then he's just going to run away because he would rather none of them come to know the truth. He'd rather all of them just burn in hell because of their wickedness. And it is terrible, but I'll tell you what, there's so much of this that I see so much of me and Jonah, or Jonah and me, however you want to say it. I, I, I see so much of myself in that. Um, you know, you've probably noticed if you've been a part of this ministry for a while, you've probably noticed that over the past several months I've, I've preached more about the LGBTQ and the social justice movement and, and that I've been preaching against those things. But if I can just be completely honest with you, church, that, that I think just perhaps the same way in which Jonah saw the Ninevites, I have seen those groups of people. Because let's just be real real with everyone right now, this LGBTQ, the next thing that's already on the horizon, this next thing that will be pushed and crammed down all of our throats, it will be pedophilia. It is. It already is. So this LGBTQ will soon be LGBTQP. And it infuriates me that that's the, that's the world that my little daughter is going to grow up into, that my son is going to grow up into. It makes me angry that they would do something so harmful to a child. It, it, it sickens me. It's... There's a sense of me that I think is probably just like Jonah was towards those Ninevites and, and this whole social justice movement and all that goes on and all these people that have completely diluted the gospel. They've completely championed, Christians championing people bowing down to these Nebuchadnezzar statues of our day and it, it, it dethrones Christ and puts some stupid idol on it and getting everyone to bow down to it. It infuriates me that those kinds of things happen and, it's, and I have wrongly desired God's judgment upon those people so for that very reason I've been I've been preaching against those things I've been saying that those those people ought to have a lifesaver tossed to them those people are drowning in their sin those people are lost as a ball in tall weeds I ought not to have this attitude that Jonah did of better for them just to be lost and me just run away. Better that we remember our own salvation and that in our own sin and our own rebellion against God that we were no different than any of that and we ought to throw them the life preserver also. We ought to preach God's judgment to them so that they might know the truth and be saved. And maybe it's just me this morning, but I'm convinced because I know this church and I love you all dearly that I just think that perhaps that probably you have some Ninevites in your life also. Some people that you would just prefer that they are not in heaven with you. I think that probably there are some of us that are just simply unbelieving Pharisees. There are people here this morning that you look like all of us, you're here in the same place like all of us, but you really don't believe, you really don't believe in Jesus and that everybody else thinks that you do and, and you're just, you don't give a hoot about lost people because you really don't believe in this whole lost and salvation and heaven and hell. You don't believe in all that anyway, so for that reason you don't give a hoot about lost people. But there are probably those of you also that don't give a hoot about lost people for the same reason that Jonah did not and for the same reason that this pastor does not. And what I'm saying, church, is that we ought not to be silent about God's impending judgment. We ought to love people enough to tell them the truth even when it's difficult. We become so dull to some of these things sometimes, church, that they are human souls. And God's Word says that they spend forever and eternity somewhere. There was a Greek orator, a great public speaker in 384 B.C. by the name of Demosthenes. 
And Demosthenes was an interesting character. He'd had a very sh- he had a very, very sharp mind. He was known for, he would take pebbles and put them in his mouth and walk down onto the seashore where the waves were crashing in and he would speak to the waves. And the reason he did it was that it forced him to pronunciate his words really clear. It forced him to, to, to expound his, his language and made, made him speak very loudly so that he was a great public speaker for those purposes. That was the way that he practiced. And one day he's speaking to a group of people and he realizes that the people's attention is beginning to wander. And he's speaking of matters of life and death, things that are incredibly, incredibly important. And he sees their attention wandering. So what he does is he stops speaking about what he was speaking about and he begins to tell a story. And this is the story that he tells. He he speaks to the people and he says, there was one day a man that was carrying a burden of sticks. And he had to take this load of sticks, this firewood, up over the mountain. So this man comes along that has a donkey, and he leases this donkey to the man with the sticks. They agree on a price, and therefore the man with the sticks purchases the the use of the donkey for a little while so that he can place this burden on the back of the animal, and that he can use the animal to go traverse up over this mountain. So the three of them go on together. The man that had the sticks and he's leading the donkey that he rented and then the donkey itself and then the man who owned the donkey was going to take the donkey back once they reached the destination. They get up to the very top of the mountain. The sun had been beating down. It was very hot and windy. It was very dry and they're all tired. And, and they stop at the very top of the mountain before making the descent on the other side to, to take a break. And they, the man who rented the donkey, the man who rented and spent money to use this donkey to to transport this large bundle of sticks. He sits down in the shade of the donkey, and then the man who actually owns the donkey says, what are you doing? I want to sit there in the shade of this donkey. And the man that owns the sticks that had rented the donkey says, well, no, this is essentially my donkey now. I have rented it, and when I'm done with it, I will give it back to you. We've already agreed on a price. I'm going to sit in this shade. And then the man that owns the donkey says, "I I only rented you the donkey's back not the donkey's shadow. That, the donkey's shadow is mine and I want to sit in the shade and in the shadow of this donkey. And then right at that very moment, Demosthenes stops the story and begins to walk away. And all the people with large eyes, they say, wait! You can't end the story there. Who's right? Who owns the shadow of the donkey? Which man is right? And then Demosthenes makes his point of the whole story. He says, here am I, standing up here, preaching to you, speaking to you about matters of life and death, and you're more interested in who owns the shadow of a donkey. And church, I know it's funny, but I think there's so much of that story that is so true for us that we become really enthralled, and we become really dull and enthralled with things that are really just kind of stupid in life. And we forget that people's souls are going to spend eternity forever somewhere. Pastor Ben, do you really believe that? Yes, I believe it with all my heart. And we ought to see people's souls as such. When people get saved around here, which people are, it's incredible that God is saving people in this congregation. It's amazing. But when people get saved, the attitude ought not to be, oh, well, it's going to be the best decision you've ever made. It's like, man, they just escaped death. 
Their soul is going to live forever in heaven with Christ because they now believe they've repented and they believe in Christ. Like, that's a big deal. We ought not to lose the true vision of what all of this means. We ought not to become dull people that care more about who owns the shadow of a donkey and who wins the sports game and all the stupid things that lots of us already think about. Did you know that sometimes I can't even multitask? And sometimes even while I'm up here tasked with this wonderful privilege of preaching God's word that I'll be thinking about stuff that I'm going to do later today. Man, it's like shame on me. I really ought to be singularly focused and I'm going to spend forever somewhere. And so are you. And God's gift of grace and mercy in the gospel, that, that's what we're preaching people towards. That's what we're guiding and discipling people towards. That's huge, church. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 3, 17 through 19. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word from my mouth and give them warning for me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Dear friends, I would not want to face Jesus with blood on my hands. And I've had to go through a process of preaching to make sure that there is not homosexual blood on my hands to preach to them, that they must get right with God, that the people that have been in this, th those two movements that have so infuriated me, that this social justice bowing down to the Nebuchadnezzar statue of, of our day, and they need to get right with God, they need to repent, they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and see that He is the only one worthy to be worshipped. I, I just fear for a lot of preachers today, I fear for a lot of Christians hear my heart this morning brothers and sisters that we ought not to have blood on our hands we ought to remember to preach the whole counsel of God and don't forget that that message works Jonah knew that that message was going to work and you'll see in a couple weeks that it does work it worked wonderfully it works beautifully the rogue representative is, is silent of God's impending judgment so pastor Ben what do we do how do we proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, which is one of our core values here as a collection of believers? How do we do that? We really ought not to do it in this new agey way of just cherry picking the elements of God that are fun to preach. There is a place, church, there is a place to look at the person that you love, your siblings, your family members, and if they don't know God, to look at them with tears in your eyes and say, You're under God's judgment. You're destined for hell. And I love you enough. This is so hard. This is so uncomfortable for me to have to preach these things to you. But you must know the truth. You must know what is right. We must not be silent about God's impending judgment. If you believe it, say amen and I'll continue on. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Look to your neighbor and say, lighten the load. We'll come back to that phrase in a moment, as you'll see why it's important. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. 
and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call to your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Let me just pull off the side of the road and park for just a brief moment. This is not the main point of where, I'm, where God's word takes this, but it's important just to note out of this whole narrative that we're going through today. These sailors were in literal physical danger because of Jonah's sin. We would do well to remember, church, that our blatant disobedience can bring about literal and physical danger to those that are around us that have really nothing to do with our disobedience. If you are a Christian and you are loose in your witness about the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you drink, the way that you dress, the way that you walk, the whole way of your being, if you're really loose with that and God has convicted you about it and you continue in your pride to continue to kick against God's direction and your life, Man, you don't know how many people already know that you proclaim to be a Christian and have seen you living in these certain kinds of ways. And that perhaps they have been put in absolute literal physical danger because of your disobedience. Let that not be true for any of us. If you ever agree with me, say yes. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. Everyone say, rode hard. They rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord who and also took vows." If you and I traveled together and went to Rome, we could travel around and we could take a tour of the catacombs. Now, the catacombs are like these underground tomb grave kinds of things, similar type of thing that you might think of what Jesus was buried in before he rose to life, a catacomb, usually an underground where there's multiple chambers, multiple rooms where they would bury people and in Rome and other places you can go down into these catacombs and you can see little depictions scrapings on the sides of these caves sides of these rooms that have been carved out of stone and you can see depictions of crosses and large fish isn't that interesting and here's the reason why it's because there is a direct parallel between the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Jonah did all that went Jonah went through 
Jonah's happenings, all of this narrative is a foreshadowing of the things that Jesus would do. And the people knew that. Here's what I mean by this. The boiling, roiling, raging sea that was just going crazy, that was scaring all of these sailors, that is obviously because of the sin in Jonah, and it is equivalent to God's wrath for sin. That's the parallel that's in this story. This lightning of the load, throwing the cargo overboard and rowing hard against the wrath, it's the equivalent of works that a person could do thinking that they can work their way to get a certain place of standing in safety before God. Jonah being thrown overboard, it was the equivalent of the parallel of the crucifixion. Jonah did not throw himself overboard. The men threw him overboard. It was the men who crucified Jesus. The time that Jonah spent in the belly of this fish was also, as a matter of fact, the same amount of time that Jesus spent in the grave. And you might say, well, Pastor Ben, I I still don't see the parallel quite clearly, and I'm I'm not quite following you there. And that text that we just read in Jonah 1, I want you to put in the margin of your Bible, if you write in your Bible, Matthew 12, verse 40, where Jesus says in that portion of text, he actually relates his own life, his own ministry, to that of Jonah. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the reason that you and I could go down into the catacombs of Rome and see depictions of crosses and of these large fish is because they knew that there was a parallel between those two, that all that Jonah did and went through, it was a foreshadowing of all that Jesus would accomplish in the work of the gospel. So we have seen something of human nature, of our nature, to, to not preach the hard message that works against people that We want to see God's judgment executed on. But what about God? What does this scripture tell us about God? Point two this morning. The rogue representative is unable to thwart God's saving mission. Say that with me. Ready, set, go. The rogue representative is unable to thwart God's saving mission. So here's Jonah on the run in his disobedience against God. And yet God is still using him in his flat-out disobedience. This does not give anybody a warrant to disobey God. Hear me clearly. But all that Jonah was doing and running from God, he didn't trust in God's omnipresence, being everywhere, all of those things that were taking place. And yet God was still painting a picture for the whole world to see of this foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. If you think that's awesome, say amen. The rogue representative is unable to thwart God's saving mission. And I'll tell you what, church, if you think back to your own testimony, if you think back to the time before you knew Christ, before you repented of your sins, the Bible says that the devil's like going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And when I think back to before I was a Christian, I think, boy, there were, just, there were a lot of rogue representatives. Because I think that just perhaps as Jonah's getting on that ship to go to, not Nineveh, but to go to Tarshish, the devil's thinking to himself, I've got him. He was the one man that God was going to use for this mission. Those Ninevites are toast. Because he's not going. And I've got these Ninevites right where I want them. And I've got Jonah right where I want him. The devil's thinking to himself, I've got it made here. And I just think that there were probably lots of circumstances in which that just perhaps the devil said the same thing prior to when I knew Christ. 
And perhaps the devil said some of those same things before you knew Christ, that there were rogue representatives in your life that, that God was going to intend to preach the gospel through, and the devil thought, got him distracted by this sin, got this person over here doing not what God has called them to do, and then all of a sudden, the devil thinks he's won this victory. But I'm just glad this morning, church, that God's power, his ability, his sovereignty, the devil thought that he had won, and God's thinking, I'm just painting a story. I'm just painting a picture for the rest of humanity to see this parallel between Jonah and all that he did, and my son and all that he will accomplish i'm thankful for that i'm thankful that god is able to go beyond those things i'm thankful that even in this nutty world in which we find ourselves that that god is still able to go beyond this rogue way in which our world is and that that my children are going to come to know the lord in his timing and in his perfect plan that that, that the devil's not going to be able to thwart that with some guy that's just a rogue someone that is disobedient god's power goes beyond and above that i'm thankful i'm thankful for each one of you this morning, church. I'm thankful that for those of you that don't know God yet, that all of the schemes of the devil that he could be scheming this morning against you that don't know Christ. I'm thankful that the God I serve, that the God I love and know is powerful enough that that's not the, that's not the deal breaker for you. That God will accomplish his purposes. That his will is set and certain. And that he is faithful to what he has said. So you say, Pastor Ben, what happens next? Look to verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Pastor Ben, do you really believe in a literal, a literal interpretation of that text? Yes, I do. Why? Because I believe God. And even if I didn't believe in God, that's, that's obviously where it all starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But, but some people have this great issue being hung up on, on some of these things that are miraculous, miracle-oriented kind of, kinds of things. But did you know this morning, friends, that in the year 1899, just off of the Falkland Islands, there was this sperm whale that had been harpooned, brought it to the side of the boat. The big thing wasn't dead yet, so it actually flipped over the boat. And they thought that two of the men had drowned. They got the boat, boat righted again. They actually were able to secure that and, and kill that whale. And they're sitting there. They thought that two of the crew members had died. One of them, one of those men, his last name was Bartley. They thought both of these guys had died and they're sitting there filleting the blubber off of this thing and they have this big wooden crane thing that's man-powered that, that they lift these huge chunks of blubber and all these things and, and they get to the part of the body where they get to the stomach and they need to remove it so they can continue filleting off these huge chunks of blubber and they, they lift the stomach out and they notice that the stomach is moving and then they cut it open and out walks Bartley. Read the story. It's... it's Dr. Dr. Harry Reimer writes of a man who was swallowed by a shark. Similar scenario. This was in the 20th century. He was known as the 20th century Jonah. Similar situation. He also survived this. Just recently in 2013, there was a man by the name of Harrison Okini. I've preached about him before. He was a tugboat cafeteria worker. And this tugboat capsizes. They were just off the coast of Nigerian coast there, and it capsized in this great big storm. You know how long that he lives in this little air bubble on the bottom of the ocean up underneath this boat in this tiny little pocket? Three days, and he survived. But even if all of that is not true, 
even if all of that is not true, I believe it because God's word says it is, and I believe in God. So hear me and listen to me close. Look up this way if I've lost your attention this morning, church. If you believe in creation, that God made everything. If you believe in the incarnation, that Jesus was and is God with us. He is Emmanuel. That he was both God and man. If you believe in salvation, that sinners who deserve nothing, that God in his great love and great grace and great mercy made a way for us. If you believe in that. If you believe in sanctification, the process that God takes the sinner, they become a believer and then he continues this process of making them more like him. If you believe in all those things, then God creating a big fish to swallow the rogue prophet should be no problem. Say amen. amen. Be very weary, dear church, of anyone who questions those things. When they say they believe in salvation and the incarnation and creation and all these different things, but they don't believe in those miraculous things that God's word literally say happened. Be very, very weary of that person. Number three this morning, dear friends, the rogue representative is susceptible to God's redirection. The rogue representative is susceptible to God's redirection. Jonah was disobedient and he sent a storm and he sent men that weren't going to have it that threw him overboard and he sends a fish to swallow the guy. Well, Pastor Ben, that's the God of the Old Testament. Yes, it is. And the God of the Old Testament is this God that's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, who's also the same God of the New Testament, who's also our God this very moment. People don't believe that God can correct people in that kind of way. And man, I just want to say to people who I know are called to ministry, was talking just this morning with Larry and Rick in the foyer about one young guy that I know, and I love him like a brother. And he's called to ministry, I believe with all my heart, and I believe he's a Jonah, and I'm thinking, man... You better stay away from some water because I just don't know what's going to happen to you if you go out on a boat. God could send a fish after you. Listen to what happens. This is just take this in and hear the heart of God with the seriousness of this church. Listen, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church and he's responding to their improper taking of the Lord's Supper. Listen to what he said. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep, meaning that they were dead. People that take the Lord's Supper in an improper kind of way, some people will become sick because of it, some people will be weak because of it, and some people will be dead because of it. Tell me again how we ought to come to church and just play patty cake with Jesus and have our own little religiosity. This is not a joke, dear friends. It's not a joke to remember that if God has called you, if there's a Nineveh that God has called you to, if there's a family member or a group of people, as in the case for me, that God has called you to preach and to cry out against their wickedness because their wickedness has come up before God. And you haven't done it because it's awkward. It makes Christmas dinners taste really weird when you got that family member that you know doesn't know God. God's, their wickedness has come up before God. And you know that God is calling you to say something to them, to preach something to them, to show something of God's nature to them. And you don't do it. You're a rogue representative. And God has His ways to get a hold of you. So I love you enough to tell you that, dear friends. That we must take these things seriously. We must remember that the rogue representative is silent of God's impending judgment. Is unable, praise God for our own salvation, is unable to thwart God's saving mission.
and is susceptible to God's redirection. A horseshoe is intended to be on the bottom of a horse's foot. And until a horseshoe is placed on the bottom of the foot, it's intended to be stored in the barn. Where a horseshoe is not intended to be is out in the middle of the field. It happens commonly. A horseshoe will, after so many weeks of after being tacked onto the hoof of an animal, will, they call it throwing a shoe. A horse will throw a shoe and it'll leave it out in the pasture. And it's wet out in the pasture. It rains out in the pasture. And what happens when you put a metal horseshoe out in the middle of a field where it's not supposed to be? It rusts. You know, there's something interesting that happens when a, when a shoe is doing what it's do, supposed to be doing and protecting the, the horse's foot. The farrier, the blacksmith, will take it off and clean it off. And they take a hammer and they beat it. They shape it so that it, it's, it's, it's perfectly molded for its intended purpose. Some of us have kicked against that process. Some of us have kicked against God's design of, of molding us to get us ready for the people that God will have us preach to. If you're like me, sometimes you think to yourself, well, we're just, we're just a church in the middle of a cornfield in Johnstown. No, we're the bride of Christ. And there's a lot of people who will come to know Jesus that will come to be recipients of His grace, that will be residents of heaven because of the ministry. That's already happening, church. Amen. And there are so many of us that I believe with all my heart, man, God's... I, 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 man, I, I just really want us to be ready. I really don't want there to be this Nineveh that just goes by and because of our disobedience and unbelief that, that we weren't ready, that we kicked against that process of God taking us the horseshoe and beating it so that it's perfectly designed, perfectly shaped, perfectly equipped and ready for all that it needs to do in the months and the weeks coming up. I think that just perhaps some of us have kicked against that. And I'm just saying, let's not kick against it, church. Let's submit ourselves to it. Some of you this morning are like that horseshoe that's out in the field. You're, you're not in the place at all. When a horseshoe is lost in the field, it's lost. You can't even find it. It's, it's supposed to be in the barn waiting to go on the hoof of a horse. Or it's supposed to be on the hoof of a horse. It's not supposed to be in the field. Did you know, dear friend, this morning that doesn't know Christ, did you know that hell was never created for humans? Did you know that it was created for the devil and his angels? Did you know that the field of unbelief that you're in, that's not where you're supposed to be? The gracious call of God to you this morning is to repent and to trust in him, to believe in him, to be stowed safely in the barn, and then to enjoy that process, the sometimes painful, yes, process, but the good process. You think Jonah really enjoyed living in the stomach acid of a fish for three days <laughs> it's okay to laugh like that wasn't really fun for him he didn't really have a plan for that but when he steps back and and he sees that all God's that all God did I believe that there was very likely a time in his life when he looked back and he said man it was worth it it was worth going through that so that all these people might come to know the truth would you stand with me as we come to the music heads bowed eyes closed no distractions please Please give God your full devotion in this moment, church. As we pray together, Father in heaven, 
I don't want to be a rogue representative. I don't want to let my improper and unrighteous anger prohibit me from preaching the message that works to cry out against the wickedness that has come up before you, Lord. I Make us ready for this, Lord. Would you guide us and be a shepherd in only the way that you can? Love you for it, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've already done, God. You've shown yourself on behalf of us so strong. It's We have an ongoing testimony, Lord, of your goodness to us, of how you have you have literally taken us by the hand as a church throughout this whole mess we find ourselves in and we've we've tasted and seen that you are good and we love you for it father for those that are in the room this morning that do not know you remind them we pray this morning by your holy spirit that the middle of the field rusting is not where they belong stored safely in your barn because of the cross because of what you have done it's your intention it's your design and it's the place where you will shape us mold us and use us we pray all these things in jesus name and all the church says amen